Hello there, and welcome to tonight's episode of Down to Sleep. Tonight, a reading of The Secret Garden by Francis Hodgson Burnett to help you get down to sleep. If you would like to hear this reading with relaxing rain sounds in the background, that is up on YouTube right now at youtube.com slash down to sleep. You can find all of the links that you need for this podcast and all of the different places you can listen in the info for this episode. Thank you for joining me tonight. This is the free version of the podcast. If you would like to hear more than 280 readings and get two new episodes at least every week, then join me at patreon.com slash down to sleep. It's just a few dollars a month to support the podcast and get all of the episodes delivered straight to your app of choice, including Spotify. If you're unable to, please do not worry. It is absolutely my pleasure to read to you and to help you get down to sleep tonight. Please consider leaving a positive review or a nice comment to help others find the podcast. Let's go ahead and tuck you in. Take a nice deep breath for me. And let's get down to sleep with one of my favorite chapters from The Secret Garden. Good night. There was a laurel-hedged walk which curved round the secret garden and ended at a gate which opened into a wood in the park. She thought she would slip round this walk and look into the wood and see if there were any rabbits hopping about. She enjoyed the skipping very much, and when she reached the little gate, she opened it and went through, because she heard a low, peculiar whistling sound and wanted to find out what it was. It was a very strange thing indeed. She quite caught her breath as she stopped to look at it. A boy was sitting under a tree, with his back against it, playing on a rough wooden pipe. He was a funny-looking boy, about twelve. He looked very clean, and his nose turned up, and his cheeks were as red as poppies, and never had Mistress Mary seen such round and such blue eyes in any boy's face. And on the trunk of the tree he leaned against, a brown squirrel was clinging and watching him, and from behind a bush nearby, a cock pheasant was delicately stretching his neck to peep out, and quite near him were two rabbits, sitting up and sniffing with tremulous noses, and actually it appeared as if they were all drawing near to watch him and listen to the strange low little call his pipe seemed to make. When he saw Mary, he held up his hand, and spoke to her in a voice almost as low as, and rather like, his piping. Don't thou move, he said. It'd fight him. Mary remained motionless. He stopped playing his pipe, and began to rise from the ground. He moved so slowly that it scarcely seemed as though he were moving at all. But at last he stood on his feet, and then the squirrel scampered back up into the branches of the tree. The pheasant withdrew his head, 
and the rabbits dropped on all fours and began to hop away, though not at all as if they were frightened. I'm Dickon, the boy said. I know that, Miss Mary. Then Mary realised that somehow she had known at first that he was Dickon. Who else could have been charming rabbits and pheasants as the natives charm snakes in India? He had a wide, red, curving mouth, and his smile spread all over his face. I got up slow, he explained, because if that makes a quick move, it startles him. A body has to move gentle and speak low when wild things is about. He did not speak to her as if they had never seen each other before, but as if he knew her quite well. Mary knew nothing about boys, and she spoke to him a little stiffly because she felt rather shy. "'Did you get Martha's letter?' she asked. He nodded his curly, rust-coloured head. "'That's why I come.' He stooped to pick up something which had been lying on the ground beside him when he piped. I've got the garden tools. There's a little spade and rake and fork and hoe. Eh? They're good uns. There's a trowel too. And the woman in the shop threw in a packet of white poppy and won a blue larkspur when I brought the other seeds. Will you show the seeds to me? Mary said. She wished she could talk as he did. His speech was so quick and easy. It sounded as if he liked her, and was not the least afraid she would not like him, though he was only a common moor-boy, in patched clothes and with a funny face and a rough, rusty red head. As she came closer to him, she noticed that there was a clean, fresh scent of heather and grass and leaves about him, almost as if he were made of them. She liked it very much, and when she looked into his funny face with the red cheeks and round blue eyes, she forgot that she had felt shy. "'Let us sit down on this log and look at them,' she said. They sat down, and he took a clumsy little brown paper package out of his coat pocket. He untied the string, and inside there were ever so many neater and smaller packages with a picture of a flower on each one. "'There's a lot of mignonettes and poppies,' he said. "'Mignonettes, the sweetest smelling things as grows, and it'll grow wherever you cast it, same as poppies will. Them as'll come up and bloom if you just whistle to them. Them's the nicest of all.' He stopped and turned his head quickly, his poppy-cheeked face lighting up. "'Where's that robin as is calling us?' he said. The chirp came from a thick holly bush, bright with scarlet berries, and Mary thought she knew whose it was. "'Is it really calling us?' she asked. "'Aye,' said Dickon, as if it was the most natural thing in the world. "'He's calling someone he's friends with. That same as saying, "'Here I am, look at me, I want a bit of a chat. "'There he is in bush. Whose is he?' He's Ben Weatherstaff's, but I think he knows me a little, answered Mary. Aye, he knows thee, said Dickon in his low voice again, and he likes thee. He's took thee on. 
it'll tell me all about thee in a minute. He moved quite close to the bush, with the slow movement Mary had noticed before. Then he made a sound, almost like the robin's own twitter. The robin listened a few seconds, intently, and then answered quite as if he were replying to a question. Aye, he's a friend of yours, chuckled Dickon. Do you think he is? cried Mary eagerly. She did so want to know. Do you think he really likes me? He wouldn't come near thee if he didn't. Birds is rare choosers, and a robin can flout a body worse than a man. See, he's making up to thee now. Cannot thou see a chap he's saying? And it really seemed as if it must be true. He so sidled and twittered and tilted as he hopped on his bush. Do you understand everything birds say? said Mary. Dickon's grin spread until he seemed all wide red curving mouth, and he rubbed his rough head. I think I do, and they think I do, he said. I've lived on the moor with them so long. I've watched them break shell and come out and fledge and learn to fly and begin to sing, till I think I'm one of them. Sometimes I think perhaps I'm a bird, or a fox, or a rabbit, or a squirrel, or a fox, or even a beetle, and I don't know it. He laughed and came back to the log, and began to talk about the flower seeds again. He told her what they looked like when they were flowers. He told her how to plant them, and watch them, and feed and water them. See here, he said suddenly, turning round to look at her. I'll plant them for thee myself. Where is thy garden? Mary's thin hands clutched each other as they lay on her lap. She did not know what to say, so for a whole minute she said nothing. She had never thought of this. She felt miserable, and she felt as if she went red and then pale. Thou's got a bit of garden, hasn't thou? Dickon said. It was true that she had turned red and then pale. Dickon saw her do it. And as she still said nothing, he began to be puzzled. Wouldn't they give thee a bit? he asked. Hasn't thou got any yet? She held her hands tighter and turned her eyes toward him. I don't know anything about boys, she said slowly. Could you keep a secret? If I told you one, it's a great secret. I don't know what I should do if anyone found it out. I believe I should die. She said the last sentence quite fiercely. Dickon looked more puzzled than ever, and rubbed his hand over his rough head again. But he answered quite good-humouredly. I'm keeping secrets all the time, he said. If I couldn't keep secrets from the other lads... Secrets about foxes' cobs, and birds' nests, and wild things' holes. They'd be naught safe on the moor. Aye, I can keep secrets. Mistress Mary did not mean to put out her hand and clutch his sleeve, but she did it. I've stolen a garden, she said very fast. It isn't mine. It isn't anybody's. 
Nobody wants it. Nobody cares for it. Nobody ever goes into it. Perhaps everything is dead in it already. I don't know. She began to feel hot and as contrary as she had ever felt in her life. I don't care. I don't care. Nobody has any right to take it from me when I care about it and they don't. They're letting it die, all shut in by itself. She ended passionately, and she threw her arms over her face and burst out crying. Poor little Mistress Mary. Dickens' curious blue eyes grew rounder and rounder. Hey, he said, drawing his exclamation out slowly. The way he did it meant both wonder and sympathy. I've nothing to do, said Mary. Nothing belongs to me. I found it myself and I got into it myself. I was only just like the robin and they wouldn't take it from the robin. Where is it? asked Dickon in a dropped voice. Mistress Mary got up from the log at once. She knew she felt contrary again, and obstinate, and she did not care at all. She was imperious and Indian, and at the same time hot and sorrowful. Come with me, and I'll show you, she said. She led him round the laurel path, and to the walk where the ivy grew so thickly. Dickon followed her with a queer, almost pitying look on his face. He felt as if he were being led to look at some strange bird's nest, and must move softly. When she stepped to the wall and lifted the hanging ivy, he started. There was a door and Mary pushed it slowly open, and they passed in together. And then Mary stood, and waved her hand round defiantly. It's this, she said. It's a secret garden, and I'm the only one in the world who wants it to be alive. Dickon looked round, and round about it, and round and round again. Hey, he almost whispered. It is a queer, pretty place. It's like as if a body was in a dream. For two or three minutes he stood looking round him, while Mary watched him, and then he began to walk about softly, even more lightly than Mary had walked the first time she had found herself inside the full walls. His eyes seemed to be taking in everything. The grey trees, with the grey creepers climbing over them, hanging from their branches. The tangle on the walls and among the grass. The evergreen alcoves with the stone seats and tall flower urns standing in them. Never thought I'd see this place, he said at last in a whisper. Did you know about it? asked Mary. She had spoken aloud, and he made a sign to her. We must talk low, he said, or someone will hear us and wonder what's to do in here. Oh, I forgot, said Mary, feeling frightened and putting her hand quickly against her mouth. 
did you know about the garden? She asked again, when she had recovered herself. Dickon nodded. Martha told me there was one, as no one ever went inside. Oss used to wonder what it was like. He stopped and looked round at the lovely grey tangle about him, and his round eyes looked queerly happy. Eh, the nests as'll be here come springtime. It'd be the safest nesting place in England. No one never coming near in tangles and trees and roses to build in. I wonder all the birds on the moor don't build here. Mistress Mary put her hand on his arm again without knowing it. Will there be roses? she whispered. Can you tell? I thought perhaps they were all dead. Eh, no, not them, not all of them, he answered. Look here. He stepped over to the nearest tree. An old, old one, with grey lichen all over its bark, but upholding a curtain of tangled sprays and branches. He took a thick knife out of his pocket and opened one of its blades. There's lots of dead wood as ought to be cut out, he said, and there's lots of old wood, but it made some new last year. This here's a new bit, and he touched a shoot which looked brownish-green instead of hard, dry grey. Mary touched it herself in an eager, reverent way. That one, she said, is that one quite alive, quite? Dickon curved his wide, smiling mouth. It's as wick as you or me, he said. And Mary remembered that Martha had told her that wick meant alive or lively. I'm glad it's wick, she cried out in her whisper. I want them all to be wick. Let us go round the garden and count how many wick ones there are. She quite panted with eagerness, and Dickon was as eager as she was. They went from tree to tree, and from bush to bush. Dickon carried his knife in his hand and showed her things which she thought were wonderful. They've run wild, he said, but the strongest ones as fair thrived on it. The delicatest ones as died out. But the others as growed and growed and spread and spread till there's a wonder. See here. And he pulled down a thick, grey, dry-looking branch. A body might think this was dead wood, I don't believe it is. Down to the root. I'll cut it low down and see. He knelt, and with his knife cut the lifeless-looking branch, not far above the earth. There, he said exultantly, I told thee so. There's green in that wood yet. Look at it. Mary was down on her knees before he spoke, gazing with all her might. When it looks a bit greenish and juicy like that, it's wick, he explained. When the inside is dry and breaks easy, like this here piece I've cut off, it's done for. There's a big root here as all this live wood sprung out of. And if the old wood's cut off and it's dug round and took care of, there'll be... He stopped and lifted his face to look up at the climbing 
and hanging sprays above him. There'll be a fountain of roses here this summer. They went from bush to bush, and from tree to tree. He was very strong and clever with his knife, and knew how to cut the dry and dead wood away, and could tell when an unpromising bough or twig had still green life in it. In the course of half an hour, Mary thought she could tell too. And when he cut through a lifeless-looking branch, she would cry out joyfully under her breath when she caught sight of the least shade of moist green. The spade and hoe and fork were very useful. He showed her how to use the fork while he dug about roots with the spade and stirred the earth to let the air in. They were working industriously round one of the biggest standard roses when he caught sight of something, which made him utter an exclamation of surprise. Why? he cried, pointing to the grass a few feet away. Who did that there? It was one of Mary's own little clearings round the pale green points. I did it, said Mary. Why, I thought that I didn't know nothing about gardening, he exclaimed. I don't, she answered. But they were so little, and the grass was so thick and strong, and they looked as if they had no room to breathe. So I made a place for them. I, d I don't even know what they are. Dickon went and knelt down by them, smiling his wide smile. "'That was right,' he said. "'A gardener couldn't have told thee better. "'They'll grow now like Jack's beanstalk. "'They're crocuses and snowdrops, "'and these here is narcissuses, "'turning to another patch. "'And here's daffydowndillies. "'Hey, they'll be a sight.' "'He ran from one clearing to another. "'Thou has done a lot of work for such a little wench.' he said, looking her over. I'm growing fatter, said Mary, and I'm growing stronger. I used always to be tired. When I dig, I'm not tired at all. I like to smell the earth when it's turned up. It's rare good for thee, he said, nodding his head. There's not as nice as the smell of good clean earth, except the smell of fresh growing things when the rain falls on them. I get out on the moor many a day when it's raining, and I lie under a bush, and I listen to the soft swish of drops on the heather, and I just sniff and sniff. My nose end fair quivers like a rabbit's mother says. Do you never catch cold? inquired Mary, gazing at him wonderingly. She had never seen such a funny boy, or such a nice one. Not me, he said, grinning. I never catched cold since I was born. I wasn't brought up nesh enough. I've chased about the moor in all weathers, same as rabbits does. Mother says I've sniffed up too much fresh air for twelve year to ever get to sniffing with cold. I'm as tough as a white-thorn knobstick. He was working all the time he was talking, and Mary was following him, and helping him with her fork or the trowel. 
There's a lot of work to do here, he said once, looking about quite exultantly. Will you come again and help me to do it? Mary begged. I'm sure I can help too. I can dig and pull up weeds and do whatever you tell me. Oh, do come, Dickon. I'll come every day if thou wants me. Rain or shine, he answered stoutly. It's the best fun I've ever had in my life. Shot in here and waking up a garden. If you will come, said Mary. If you will help me to make it alive, I'll... I don't know what I'll do, she ended helplessly. What could you do for a boy like that? I'll tell thee what thou'll do, said Dickon, with his happy grin. Thou'll get fat, and thou'll get hungry as a young fox, and thou'll learn how to talk to the robin same as I do. We'll have a lot of fun. He began to walk about, looking up in the trees and at the walls and bushes with a thoughtful expression. I wouldn't want to make it look like a gardener's garden, all clipped and spick and span, would you? It's nicer like this, with things running wild and swinging, catching hold of each other. Don't let us make it tidy, said Mary anxiously. It wouldn't seem like a secret garden if it was tidy. Dickon stood rubbing his rusty red head with a rather puzzled look. It's a secret garden, sure enough, he said. It seems like someone besides the robin must have been in it since it was shut up ten years ago. But the door was locked and the key was buried, said Mary. No one could get in. That's true, he answered. It's a queer place. Seems to me as if there'd been a bit of pruning done, here and there, later than ten years ago. But how could it have been done, said Mary. He was examining a branch of a standard rose, and he shook his head. Aye, how could it, he murmured, with the door locked and the key buried. Mistress Mary always felt that, however many years she lived, she should never forget that first morning when her garden began to grow. Of course, it did seem to begin to grow for her that morning, when Dickon began to clear places to plant seeds. She remembered what Basil had sung at her when he wanted to tease her. Are there any flowers that look like bells? she inquired. Lilies of the valley does, he answered, digging away with the trowel. And there's Canterbury bells and Campanulas. Let's plant some, said Mary. There's lilies of the valley here already. I saw them. They'll have grown too close and we'll have to separate them, but there's plenty. The other ones take two years to bloom from a seed, but I can bring you some bits of plants from our cottage garden. Why dost thou want them? Then Mary told him about Basil and his brothers and sisters in India, of how she had hated them, and of their calling her Mistress Mary quite contrary. They used to dance round and sing at me. They sang, Mistress Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? With silver bells and cockle shells, 
and marigolds all in a row. I just remembered it, and it made me wonder if there were really flowers like silver bells. She frowned a little, and gave her trowel a rather spiteful dig into the earth. I wasn't as contrary as they were, but Dickon laughed. Hey, he said, and as he crumbled the rich black soil, she saw he was sniffing at the scent of it. Doesn't seem to be no need for no one to be contrary, when there's flowers and such like, and such lots of friendly wild things running about, making homes for themselves, or building nests and singing and whistling, does there? Mary, kneeling by him, holding the seeds, looked at him and stopped frowning. Dickon, she said, you are as nice as Martha said you were. I like you, and you make the fifth person. I never thought I should like five people. Dickon sat up on his heels as Martha did when she was polishing the grate. He did look funny and delightful, Mary thought, with his round blue eyes and red cheeks and happy-looking turned-up nose. "'Only five folks as thou likes,' he said. "'Who's the other four? "'Your mother and Martha,' Mary checked them off on her fingers, "'and the Robin and Ben Weatherstaff.' Dickon laughed so that he was obliged to stifle the sound by putting his arm over his mouth. "'I know thou thinks I'm a queer lad,' he said. "'But I think thou'rt the queerest little lass I ever saw.' Then Mary did a strange thing. She leaned forward and asked him a question she had never dreamed of asking anyone before. And she tried to ask it in Yorkshire, because that was his language. And in India, a native was always pleased if you knew his speech. Does thou like me? she said. Eh, he answered heartily. That I does. I likes thee wonderful, and so does the robin, I do believe. That's two, then said Mary. That's two for me. And then they began to work harder than ever, and more joyfully. Mary was startled and sorry when she heard the big clock in the courtyard strike the hour of her midday dinner. I shall have to go, she said mournfully. And you'll have to go too, won't you? Dickon grinned. Madden is easy to carry about with me. Mother always lets me put a bit of something in my pocket. He picked up his coat from the grass and brought out of a pocket a lumpy little bundle tied up in a quite clean, coarse blue and white handkerchief. It held two thick pieces of bread with a slice of something laid between them. It's oftenest naught but bread, he said but I got a fine slice of fat bacon with it today. Mary thought it looked a queer dinner, but he seemed ready to enjoy it. Run on and get thy victuals, he said. I'll be done with mine first. I'll get some more work done before I start back home. 
He sat down with his back against a tree. I'll call the robin up, he said, and give him the rind of the bacon to peck at. They likes a bit of fat wonderful. Mary could scarcely bear to leave him. Suddenly it seemed as if he might be a sort of wood fairy who might be gone when she came into the garden again. He seemed too good to be true. She went slowly, halfway to the door in the wall, and she stopped and went back. Whatever happens, you... you never would tell, she said. His poppy-coloured cheeks were distended with his first big bite of bread and bacon, but he managed to smile encouragingly. If thou was a mussel thrush and showed me where thy nest was, does thou think I'd tell anyone? Not me. Thou art as safe as a mussel thrush. And she was quite sure she was. And that is where we close the book tonight, as that is the end of the chapter, and a perfect place to put a pin in the secret garden for now. I think that was just the most wholesome and lovely chapter of those two in the garden together. I can't wait to see what happens next. Until next time, thank you for being here, and good night.